Would you please open to 1 Corinthians chapter 1? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to be taking a look at a lot of Scripture today for a very specific reason. There are, if you haven't figured it out, there are problems in the body of Christ. Massive problems. The body of Christ is really uh, probably in the worst condition it's ever been. The problem is we don't know it. What I mean is we, you become so accustomed to what you see that you don't realize how damaging things are. Now granted, we would all, at least in this room, we would all say, oh yeah, you know, if there's adultery going on, why, that's terrible, terrible. And it is, but it's, it's far worse than that. It is, um, it's so bad that we have come to the place of just accepting what we see and not really understanding how bad what we see really is, what's going on. By the time this message is over, I hope you understand more clearly why it is so critical for us to just do what God says in His Word and not only that, um, that you are, yes, that you use a whole lot more wisdom about what you do in your life. And that sounds really vague. It is. You'll understand. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, the Apostle Paul writes, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I'm going to stop right there. Verse 10 is establishing something that's going on in that church. And he says, uh, you're not speaking the same thing. There are divisions among you. That word divisions comes from the Greek word schisms. There are divisions among you, and you are not perfectly joined together in the same mind or the same thought process the same understanding, and in the same judgment. In other words, how you um, view a particular something. Now, what is it that has caused them to not speak all the same thing, that's led to the divisions, that's caused them to not be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment? Well, verses 11, 12, and 13 explain this. I'm of... Uh, uh, verse 11, you know, he gets a report from uh, this, some people there at the house of Chloe. But in verse 12, you know, some people say I'm of Paul, some people say I'm of Apollo, some of Cephas, some of Christ. In other words, what he's revealing to us is that there are people in their midst who have identified individuals and they say, I am a follower of, and they name this person. Now, it's important to understand that when he says, in verse 12, that uh, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. Okay, 
he's using that as an example. In other words, it's more than just Paul, Apollo, Cephas, Christ. It's more than that. He's just saying, okay, some of you say this, some of you say that to, to let them know you're following all these different people. You claim to be following all these different people. And then he begins talking about, look, is Christ divided? Well, if you're in Christ, then Christ is not divided. That's really all he needed to say. But he goes on, you know, is Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? So he's identifying there are divisions in your midst because this group, that group, the other group, so on and so forth, you're all claiming to follow different people. And so you're coming up with teaching that is contradictory to what you should be teaching. Now, to kind of jump ahead uh, real briefly here, if they were truly following Paul, Apollos, and Cephas, they would all be speaking the same thing. There would be no division. So what they've done is they have taken something they've heard and twisted it, manipulated it, reformulated it, whatever, to come up with a doctrine that they say, this came from Peter, so I'm following him. This came from Apollos, I'm following him. This came from Paul, this came from that person, so on and so forth. And Paul is saying, in essence, it shouldn't be like this. Well, you jump over to chapter 3. And he says, And I, brethren, could I speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, yet, uh, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? And he says, envying, strife, and divisions. Okay, well, where these envying, strives, and, and divisions come from? Verse 4, one says, I'm of Paul, another, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? In other words, he's going back to, here's where all this is coming from. It's not that you're denying Jesus, but you're following after different people and claiming we're right and you're wrong. Well, you're, you're okay on some things, but we're the ones who are really right on everything. And he says, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I, now, notice, even as the Lord gave to every man. He's saying, if you really got it from the Lord, it, you wouldn't be divided. If it was really coming, who's the Lord? Jesus. If it was really coming from the Lord, there wouldn't be divisions. It wouldn't be happening. And then he says, verse 6, I've planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, 
gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, even every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. All right, so what's he saying to this point? He's saying everything that comes forth that's being delivered, that's being taught, it originates with Jesus. He's the foundation. Paul refers to himself as a master builder. In other words, he's saying, I know what came from the Lord, and so therefore I'm building on this foundation with that which the Lord has given. And he says, now, verse 12, when you build on this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, you need to understand that every man's work shall be made manifest. Now, what is the work he's talking about? He's talking about the work of what you build on the foundation. In other words, what you teach after the foundation is laid. And he said, you need to know that your work is going to be made manifest, or what you teach, or what you uh, express, what you preach. It's going to be made manifest. Then he says, for the day shall declare it. Okay, what day is he talking about? Well, he says, it's going to be revealed by fire. The fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Okay, so um, uh, what day does he mean and what fire? He's talking about on the day of judgment. And, and he's talking, but this fire he's talking about is not the fire of hell. It is the fire of God's holiness and the purity of his truth. In other words, everything that you do to build upon this foundation is going to be put through the fire, if you will. You will be put through the fire based on what you've taught. And he continues and he says, after you've gone through this fire, think of it, you ever gone through a car wash? And once you go through the car wash, ideally all the dirt is washed off, but the car remains. Now, if you go through the car wash and there are parts of your car missing... It means that the power of the water removed those parts of your car. The rearview mirror, you know, the antenna, the windshield wipers, the, the roof of your car, whatever. I mean, it's just, <laughs> your windshield, your doors, your bumpers. <laughs> well, he's talking about once you've gone through, not the, the car wash, you know, but the fire wash. Once you've gone through this, if your work abides that you've built thereupon, then you know what? You're going to receive a reward. But then he says, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. And he continues and says, know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy for the temple of God is holy, which temple are uh, temple ye are. A lot of people used to talk about smoking and drinking, you know, that's destroying the temple. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about you. In other words, your spirit is the temple of God. And he's saying, you're the temple of God. God's life dwells in you. That new nature is alive on the inside of you, but... If you defile that temple of God, how could you defile that temple of God? With wood, hay, and stubble teaching. That takes a person to the point 
that they are no longer focused on Jesus as their Savior. Let me put it simply, that you now believe the only way that you can stay saved is if you shave your head. You say, well, that's kind of dumb. I know, I'm, I'm coming up with something that's dumb to help you understand. If you put your faith in a work more than your faith in the completed work of Jesus, then, and this is very short and simple here, he's saying, look, you know what? God is going to destroy you. Why is that? Because through my teaching, I am destroying your temple. I'm leading you away from the very foundation of Jesus Christ. And he says, verse 17, If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool, that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. So, what he's saying here is, when he's talking about the wisdom of this world, that's a, a generalized term. We could restate it like this. The wisdom of religion that takes you away from truth. And he says, if that seems wise, you know, if that seems to be to you, you know, the smart thing, and he said, you know what? May the foolishness of that wisdom come to light. And the reason that we know that he's talking about doctrine here is because it's in the context of building on the foundation. So this wisdom of the world, it has nothing to do with going and getting an education at a school. No, he's talking about something... Okay, if it doesn't line up with what the Apostle Paul is delivering, then he says it's the wisdom of the world. It's a conclusion somebody's come to that contradicts what Paul is trying to get across to these folks. All right, now, let's think for a moment. And I've already answered this question, but who wrote all this? You know, I, I don't want there to be any divisions among you. Okay, who wrote this? Now, I mean, in, in a, what we're seeing here. Okay, Paul, right? The apostle Paul wrote this. So, for those who might be wondering, who is the apostle Paul? Well, turn over to Acts chapter 7. And when you read throughout the New Testament, you find that uh, the Apostle Paul was highly esteemed as a Pharisee, and he was very um, committed to upholding the law of Moses. And in Acts chapter 7, what's happened is uh, Stephen was arrested, put on trial, and he preaches this sermon that makes the people, the religious leaders listening, extremely mad. And so we pick it up in verse 58. And they cast him out of the city. They cast Stephen out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Now, as we continue reading in the New Testament, we see that Saul's name later was changed to Paul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them 
to prison. In other words, if you profess Jesus, you know, he was arresting you. And not going into a whole lot of detail here, but there was also torture and execution involved when you study the, out the Greek words for uh, uh, made havoc. But then you jump over to chapter 9. And it says in verse 1, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter among the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, uh, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art, there, Lord? Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou should do, what thou must do. So even though we don't have a record of Paul praying what we would call the sinner's prayer, there is an event in his life right here. This was his salvation event. This was his born-again moment. Because he wasn't arguing with this voice he heard. <laughs> he realized, okay, I made a really big mistake here. And he acknowledges him as Lord. You know, what would you have me do? And so the Lord says, I want you to go on into the city, and there's a guy named Ananias who's going to come, and he's going to minister to you. And then God, uh, the Lord talks to Ananias and says, go and minister to uh, Saul. Ananias says, I don't know. I mean, this guy, man, we've heard some bad stuff. And uh, the Lord says unto Ananias, verse 15, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my namesake. So what we see right here is that Jesus says that this guy Saul, he's going to minister to Gentiles people of importance, and the children of Israel, Jewish people. And he's going to, he says here, bear my name before them. So when he says bear my name, it's not simply a matter of him saying, hey guys, listen, I had an encounter with Jesus, my eyes were blind, I got healed, and all this other. It was more than that. It bear his name. Jesus is the Messiah. And when you read later on, you see how Paul used Old Testament scriptures to prove that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Messiah prophecies. And not only that, but bear my name. In other words, here's Jesus, here's who he is, here's what he says. Here's what he is declaring to us who have believed in him. Here are his standards, if you will. Now, Look over in 2 Corinthians. So we see what Paul's uh, calling is going to be, and we see how that the Lord appeared unto him, so on and so forth. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, now Paul is continuing uh, writing this. He says in verse 1, It's not expedient for me, doubtless to glory, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Stop right there. Why is he saying this? Why is this in here? It's because if you read all of 1 Corinthians and then 2 Corinthians up to this point, what you'll find is that there were other teachers who were doing everything they could to discredit the Apostle Paul and what he was teaching. 
And so he says, look, if these people out there are bragging about their encounters with God, let me tell you what happened with me. And he says, um, it's not expedient for me, doubtless to glory, I'll come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for man to utter. Now, this is so King Jamesy. What he's talking about briefly, I got very briefly. It, um, one way to say this is, man didn't come up with this. This did not originate with man. These things that, that I heard, these things that were spoken to me. And then he says in verse 5, Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I will not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. What's he talking about? He's saying, well, I had this encounter, and he's talking about himself here, guys, in this. And he says, I had this encounter, this unique supernatural encounter. Okay, with whom did he have this encounter? Well, he tells you in verse 1, visions and revelations of the Lord. What Lord? Jesus, the same Jesus who appeared to him on the Damascus Road, that bright light. Now, he's saying, I received these revelations from the Lord. Another way to say that would be, during this encounter with Jesus, he began teaching me, or he began expounding unto me things he wanted me to know. Well, then that brings up a question. What in the world is it that Jesus would have taught him? Well, to understand that, let's go back to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And here in Mark chapter 1, take a look. Um, and folks, before we go any further in this, you need to understand we're just using a few verses here and there to establish truth. There... There are so many more verses we could use in reference to all of this, but we're trying, I'm trying to keep it you know, short and simple to the point. Okay, so then Jesus was, was giving these revelations to the Apostle Paul. What in the world would he have been teaching him? Well, you take a look at Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now, after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. There it is. See that? This is what Jesus was teaching prior to his crucifixion. And if you look in Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16, and we begin reading in verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they came and they said, uh, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, and some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. 
And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. All right, what are we learning from this? What we see is that <clears throat> Jesus went about teaching the kingdom of God. He didn't go about teaching the law of Moses. He referenced it, but he was teaching the kingdom of God. Here he reveals even more about this. He, and that's where, It's like he's saying, not only am I going to teach you about the kingdom of God, but I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Okay, well, what are the keys of the kingdom? The keys of the kingdom are the standards and the principles that we apply to our lives in order to have kingdom success in our life here on earth. I mean, once you get to heaven, you know, you're not going to be too concerned about having success. It's over and done with. It's what happens here. And so he says, I'm, I'm teaching the kingdom, but not only that, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. I'm going to explain to you how to fully operate in the kingdom, the standards of the kingdom. Well, since this is what he taught, uh, what would he have wanted taught? Because we all know he was going to be crucified, and uh, you know we know he ascended back to the Father. Well, look in Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 28. And here in Matthew 28, verse 18, this is after his resurrection, before he ascended back to heaven. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So before he ascends back to heaven, he says, I want you to tell people about me. And then the people who accept me as Lord and Savior... What I want you then to do is to teach them what I have taught you. Well, what was it that Jesus taught them? He taught them about the kingdom, and he taught them the keys to the kingdom. So then what Jesus is telling them is, I want you to teach people the standards of the kingdom of God and the keys to operating by those standards within the kingdom. Now turn over to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. And in John chapter 16, just uh, this is right before Jesus gets arrested, put on trial, and crucified. He says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. So if he says... I have many things yet to say unto you. Things about what, Jesus? Well, what's he been teaching? He's been teaching the kingdom and the keys to the kingdom. So another way to say this would be, I have more to teach you about the kingdom and the keys to the kingdom, but you can't bear them now. He didn't say you can't bear them. He said you can't bear them now, which means there was coming a time when they could bear them. All right? So then, that being true, it brings up a question. When is it that we would be able to bear them? 
Another question uh, right along with that is, you know, what happens when people are born again? Because if Jesus had more to teach about the kingdom, then it was going to have to happen after he was raised from the dead. Well, what then do you think he would have taught Paul in the, that encounter that the Apostle Paul had? You know, the visions and the revelations and so forth. What do you think Jesus would have taught the Apostle Paul? Well, obviously, he would have taught him the kingdom and the keys to the kingdom. Because if that's what he once taught, then he has to teach what he wants somebody else to teach. Which means Paul would have been taught the kingdom and the keys to the kingdom. And then he would have been instructed, just like Jesus gave the instruction there at Matthew 28. Jesus would have told Paul, you go forth and you Tell people about me, and then you teach them the kingdom and the keys to the kingdom. Now look over in um, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And here in Colossians chapter 1, just pick this up in verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So what he's telling us is that once you get born again, it doesn't matter who you are, going back to all the people before the cross and the people after the resurrection, everybody who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, he says, you've received redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, you've been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. So now that we are in the kingdom, I mean, going back all the way to Matthew, Mark, and and John, and a whole bunch of them, now that we are in the kingdom, we have the ability to understand everything about the kingdom, the things that Jesus taught and the, while he was here on earth, and the things he taught after he left the earth, after his ascension back to the Father. Are you following what I'm saying here? And not only to understand about the kingdom, but to understand about the keys to the kingdom and what it takes to be successful in the, key, in, in the kingdom. Now, when I say what it takes to be successful, please do not interpret that to mean financially rich. No, when I say successful... I mean living according to kingdom standards. That's what this is all about. So then, we're born again. We're now in the kingdom. Now here's what's interesting. The kingdom hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Ever since Jesus rose from the dead and made entry into the kingdom possible, the kingdom has not changed for 2,000 years. Therefore, the standards of the kingdom or the keys of the kingdom that existed 2,000 years ago are the exact same standards and keys to the kingdom today. There's no difference. Absolutely no difference whatsoever. Now look in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Now remember who this is that Paul is writing to. 
It's these people with all the divisions and all the schisms because they're following this one, that one, the other, and so on. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, For this cause have I sent unto you Timothy, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. See that? All right, now what that means is this. Since the Apostle Paul was teaching the kingdom of God and the standards of the kingdom, and he says, I teach the same thing everywhere I go in every single church, that means Paul taught the same kingdom standards in every single church. There were no exceptions whatsoever. He didn't teach part of the kingdom and some standards in Ephesus and then teach something different to the churches in Galatia. It was everywhere he went, every church, every group he went to, same thing. Same kingdom, same standards, no matter what. And what this means is, what he taught about the kingdom was approved by Jesus. Otherwise, he'd have been called up to the third heaven again. And Jesus would have said, we need to talk about some stuff here. But that didn't happen. So that means that when Paul taught the kingdom and taught the kingdom standards to every church, everywhere he went, what he taught was approved by Jesus. Now, in 1 Corinthians, uh, earlier we read where he talked about speak the same thing and have no divisions. What he's making reference to is what is being taught about the kingdom. In other words, what it means to be a Christian. Well, if you're teaching somebody what it means to be a Christian, you're teaching about the kingdom of God. You're teaching about the standards of Christianity, the standards of the kingdom. So when he says no divisions and speak the same thing, he's saying every single one of you need to be teaching the exact same things about the kingdom, the keys to the kingdom, and the standards to the kingdom. Now look over in Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. And in Galatians chapter 2, begin in verse 1. Paul says, Then fourteen years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation, and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run, or had run, in vain. Now he goes to Jerusalem. Who's in Jerusalem? It is the apostles. Remember, we read about how the believers were scattered out of Jerusalem, but the apostles remained. So Paul has gone to Jerusalem, and he's meeting with the apostles. He refers to them as uh, them which were of reputation. And he said, I, uh, I communicated to them the gospel I preach, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. In other words, he went to Jerusalem, he's sitting down with the apostles, and he's saying, okay guys, look, uh, it's been a while since we were together, let me tell you what I've been teaching in every church, everywhere that I go. And he begins revealing to them all these things that he taught. And then he says, um, we'll pick it up in verse 6, but of these who seem to be somewhat Whosoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person. He said, 
For they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. What does that mean? What it means is this. He sits down with the apostles and he says, okay, now here's what I've been teaching. Now, why would he sit down with them and tell them what he was teaching if everything he taught he had received from them? Do you understand this? But he makes it very clear in other places. What I received, I received from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven. So in essence, here's what's happened. He sits down with them and he says, okay, you know, uh, James and Peter and John and the rest of you. He said, you know, I had this vision and the Lord has appeared to me, the third heaven, so on and so forth. Here are the things that he told me that I have been teaching in every church everywhere I go. And they said, well, yeah, oh, that's, you know, right along with what he told us before he was crucified and the things he's been revealing to us since he's been risen from the dead. That's why he says, they, in conference, they added nothing to me. Meaning, I didn't receive from them, or I didn't hear from them anything I didn't already know. So, in essence, what we're seeing here is that Peter and James and Matthew and John and the whole bunch, they're all teaching the same thing that Paul is teaching relative to the kingdom and the keys and standards of the kingdom of God. Okay, that in mind, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Because you see, there are some people who teach that Peter taught one gospel and that Paul taught a, taught a different one. That's impossible. Based on what we're seeing here in Scripture, absolutely impossible. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, not Corinth, Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that the Philippians, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. You see that? So what he's saying is, there are people in Ephesus who are starting to teach other things. And he's saying, what I'm telling you to do is stay here in Ephesus and make sure everybody is teaching the same thing. Okay, what same thing is it that they should be teaching? What Paul taught, what Peter taught, what James. But we're focusing now on Paul because he's the one who said, I don't want there to be any divisions or schisms in you. So he says, you get around and make sure that these people are teaching no other doctrine. No other doctrine other than what he has been teaching and what Timothy has been teaching as well because Timothy is teaching the same thing Paul taught. Otherwise, Paul would not have sent him to Corinth if Timothy was teaching something different. Now look over in Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16 just look at one verse, verse 17. Now, I beseech you, brethren, mark them, identify them by name, which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. Now, what was going on in Corinth? Divisions. And they were having, uh, you know, conflict and so on and so forth. And he's saying here, as far as Rome is concerned, the Christians in, in Rome, identify the people that are teaching something contrary to the doctrine that I have taught you. And he says, what? 
<laughs> he, now, look at this. He says, avoid them. You see that? So what he's saying is, if you find somebody who is teaching or preaching a doctrine that I have not taught, avoid them. Now, the way we would say that today is, you know, if it's in their church or they've got a Bible study going on or whatever it would be, he says, avoid them. Now, how many of you know what that word avoid means? <laughs> yeah, you know what that word avoid means. Now look over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, mark that man, identify that man, and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Or that, that hopefully... Um, He'll, he'll see the light, so to speak. Because if nobody wants to have anything to do with him, if people are saying, look, I can't hang around you anymore, I can't come to your, your Bible studies anymore, I can't attend your church anymore, say, well, why not? Well, because what you're teaching contradicts what Paul taught. And so he says, look, have no company with them. Now look over in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And look at verse 9. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Now, what's the opposite of that? Those things that you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, if you don't do them, God will not be with you. Do you see that? It's important you understand that. So he's saying, if you will follow and apply to your life the kingdom standards that I have delivered unto you, God will be with you. But then the opposite is also true. If you don't do this, God will not be with you. Now look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and take a look at verse 1. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. See that? Be ye followers of me, as I am a follower of Christ. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? That you take what Christ Jesus the Lord has given, and you follow it. You apply it to your life. The things that you've seen and heard and so forth in me do. Why is that? Because the things that I've seen and heard and received of the Lord, that's what I'm doing. So I'm passing on to you what he has given to me. And he says, therefore, you follow me as I am following Christ. He didn't just say, you know, plain old follow me no matter what I do. Follow me as I follow Christ. Okay, now, everything that we have read, we have restricted this to the Apostle Paul because he's the one who said, I don't want there to be divisions or schisms among you. I want you to speak the same thing and be of the same mind. So therefore, because Paul wrote that, and basically everything that we've read to this point, it came from Paul. We're restricting this to Paul. We're not reading Peter. We're not reading James. We're not reading John. We are reading 
what the Apostle Paul has said and done. That being true, everything that we've heard so far, all being true, what is it then that Paul wrote about the kingdom and what should be taught? All right, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now remember what he said. He said, if there's anybody out there preaching and teaching a doctrine that contradicts what you've heard of me, he says, avoid them. Stay away from them. Now, if you came to this church, and there was a sign on the front door that said, uh, we welcome you to our church. Uh, please try not to step on the rattlesnakes in the sanctuary. No, folks, we don't have any people watching this saying, change the channel now. Now, if you saw that, would you be comfortable coming in? No. Would you look at it and say, well, you know, it says the sanctuary. They may not be in the restroom. They may not be in the classrooms, might not be in the fellowship hall. Um, you know, I think I'll go in, but I just won't go to the sanctuary. You're not going to do that. You know better. You're not coming in. What would you do? You would avoid this church. And do you think you would tell anybody about it? Yeah. You'd, be, you'd probably take a picture of the sign and put it on social media <laughs> and tell people don't go anywhere near that church because if you do, you could get snake bit. You understand? Avoid that person. So let's see here. What did Paul teach? First Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit, verse 1, the Spirit speaketh expressly, emphatically, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. You can't depart from that which you once held on to. You understand this? Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, and having their conscience seared with the hot iron, forbidding to marry. Okay, now stop right there. Do you know of any church or denomination that forbids anybody from getting married? Now, if you do, the commandment of God is avoid those people. I, now, look, you can get all fussy with me if you want to. Have we already not laid a foundation to understand these things? And if the kingdom instruction is avoid, then why in the world, if you're a kingdom person, why in the world would you not avoid? So do you know of any church or denomination that teaches people, anybody, that they are forbidden to get married? Now, if you know of, of anything like that, you should in no way, shape, or form ever set foot in that type of church or denomination. But, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. Do you know of any church or any denomination that tells people you should not eat meat? Now, if you do, if there's one out there, you should have nothing to do with that church or organization. Because he's telling you right here that these kind of teachings come from seducing spirits and they are doctrines 
of devils. Not kingdom doctrines, doctrines of devils. You say, Brother Martin, you are stirring up a hornet's nest. No, I'm not. What I, well, maybe. <laughs> no, what I'm doing is I'm revealing to you, we've just begun. What I talked about at the very beginning, how that in the body of Christ, it's worse now than it's ever been, and the problems are so bad, but we don't recognize how bad they are. God is saying, look, if you see this stuff going on, and it contradicts the kingdom teaching that has been given, then, <laughs> you know what? You need to avoid this. You need to stay away from it. But look over in Romans chapter 1. Now, we don't have time to read all of Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2, but we'll read enough of it. In Romans chapter 1, look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, for the wrath of God, for the wrath... How many of you want to be a recipient of the wrath of God? I hope the answer is nobody. <laughs> for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. What truth? What truth? It would be kingdom truth. And he says the wrath of God is revealed against these kinds of people. Jump to verse 26. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. Verse 32. Who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. All right, now... Do you know of any church or any denomination that in any way approves of, defends, supports men with men and women with women? Now, if you do, then you're supposed to avoid that church and those people. Meaning, you don't listen to them. You don't, you, you just, you... Cut them off from your life. Now, this is God saying this, not me. I'm just revealing to you what God has said. Avoid them. Have nothing, nothing to do with them. Stay away from them. Now, look in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I mean, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one do not or, or not to eat. For what am I to do to judge them also that are without or without the body of Christ? Do not ye judge them that are within within the body of Christ. But them that are without God judgeth therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Do any of you know of a church or a denomination which really doesn't seem to have a problem with uh, somebody who's involved in, well, like he says, you know, fornicator, covetous, idolater, railer, drunkard? I mean, do you know of a church or denomination that has people in positions of leadership or, you know, from pastor all the way to, you know, Sunday school teacher, whatever the case would be? where people are doing these things, but they are allowed to continue doing those things 
and serving in various capacities within the church. Now, if you do, you are to stay away from those people in that church. You just stay away from it. You don't become a part of it. There's no such thing as social drinking in the house of God. Fuss with me all you want. It's not there. And if you look over in um, Galatians chapter 5. No, I said 1 Corinthians 6. Let's do this first. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Why is that? Because doing all of those things is contrary to the teaching of the kingdom, the keys of the kingdom, and the standards of the kingdom. Now notice this. In verse 9, he talks about nor effeminate. Now that kind of speaks for itself. But in case you're wondering or need more detail about that word, it comes. It, it's talking about a, a wearer of soft clothing. And that's a nice way to put it. In other words, it's like a man who dresses like a woman. Cross-dressing and even what we would refer to today as, um, I'm a man who identifies as a woman. All right, now, I'm not going into great lengths about that issue, you know what this is talking about, for men or for women. The bottom line is this. If you know of a church or a denomination that tolerates any of this, then guess what? You should never, ever be a part of that church or that denomination. Now look in Galatians chapter 5. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, or, or on and on, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do, which incorporate these things into their lifestyle, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, in this list, it's basically any type of uh, perversion that, that you could think of, including pornography. But it also, these words, you go back into the Greek and study them out, it's also talking about the use of substances to influence your mental capacity. In other words, doing something to get high, all right? It's covered in this. Whether, whether A lot of people don't want to believe this. And it's really sad, but you have Christians who defend these things. Okay, now, if you know of a church or a denomination that in any way defends any of these behaviors, you should never be a part of that church or that denomination. Never. You should always walk away from it. Now look in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This is a wordy way of describing what we refer to as meditation in Scripture, giving time to meditate in, in uh, the word of God. Now there are people out there who teach giving extended time of meditation or studying in Scripture is a work of the flesh. Now hear me now. 
They call it a work of the flesh. If you know of any church or any denomination that teaches dedicating yourself to you know, this verse right here, doing what this verse describes, then guess what? You should avoid that church. Stay away from it. Don't be a part of that denomination. Whatever it is, get out. Because the kingdom standard is this 15th verse right here. Anybody who teaches otherwise is teaching opposite the kingdom. Now look in Acts chapter 19 and see something that happened in the life of Paul and what he said. Acts chapter 19, verse 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Therefore, if you are a part of a church or a denomination that teaches, will you get all the Holy Ghost there is to get once you get born again? Then what they're telling you is that there is no Holy Ghost to get after you believe. You understand this? So therefore, if you know of a church or denomination that teaches, you get all the Holy Ghost there is to get the moment you get born again. According to what we see in the Word of God, you are to avoid that church and that denomination. You're not to be a part of it. Because the kingdom says you can receive the Holy Ghost after you believe. Because in verse 6, And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. So along with this, if there's any church or any denomination you know of which teaches that tongues are not for today, you should not be a part of that church, and you should not be a part of that denomination. Why not? Because the kingdom standard is, you can receive the Holy Ghost after you believe, and you can speak in tongues after you've received the Holy Ghost. This is the Word of God, folks. This is the kingdom standard. These are the kingdom keys. This is the revelation from God Himself. Look in Romans uh, chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And verse 26, Likewise, the Holy Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. It's talking about praying in tongues. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, in verse 2, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God, for no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. Verse 4, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. Verse 14, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth. And then you go over into Jude, uh, verse 20, it talks about, but ye beloved, uh, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourself in the love of God. If you know of a church or denomination that teaches, well, there's really no need to pray in tongues. I mean, it's not a bad thing, but there's really no need to pray in tongues because you can get the same thing praying with the understanding. Or if that church or denomination teaches you cannot pray in tongues anytime you want to, or that church or denomination teaches that extended time of praying in tongues is works of the flesh, then guess what? You should not be a part of that church. You should not be a part of that denomination. 
This is what the Word of God is establishing. And over and over again, we read these principles and standards of the kingdom, and we're told, okay, if there's somebody who teaches opposite, avoid them. Have nothing to do with them. Do not be a part. Why? Because every one of those churches and denominations, they stand up, Jesus loves you, Jesus died on the cross, etc. and so forth, but they're following all these other teachings. Do you know what's happened? Guys, <laughs> they're the ones that are causing the schisms and the divisions in the body of Christ. And so what happens so many times um, within Christianity, we say something like, Look, as long as we can just agree on Jesus the Savior, we're good. No, that is not true. That is a false doctrine. That is heresy. It is a seducing spirit doctrine because there's nothing in Scripture that says, if, just as long as you agree with, uh, that Jesus is the Savior, it doesn't matter if you disagree with all the rest of it. No, these are the keys to the kingdom. These are the kingdom standards. This is the way God has established it in his word. Any church that teaches, approves of, or allows any of these kind of things to happen, or allows people to be on staff that do these things, on and on it goes, it is a church of schisms and divisions that you should avoid no matter what. Absolutely avoid them no matter what. People, now listen, here's what's interesting. People who sincerely want truth and study scripture line upon line, will eventually come to this understanding. So what does that tell you about all the people in all these churches and denominations that are teaching all these things I've identified? They're not studying Scripture like they say. I don't care what they tell you. They're not doing it. Because when you leave it in context, you cannot come to 15 different conclusions. It's impossible. Now, kingdom standards produce spiritual stability. Kingdom standards produce spiritual stability. Drifting and deviating away from kingdom standards today is the same thing that Israel did regarding the law of Moses. What ha- they began drifting away from the law of Moses. And what happened was it led the Jews to compromise, which led them to incorporating the standards of the pagan nations, which led them to legalizing and defending the pagan standards, which then led to the implosion of Israel's society and being taken captive into Babylon. It was a process that took time, but it happened. Now, I want you to think about this. All the schisms... See, there's some people... What I'm sharing with you this morning, for some people, it's almost like it's going to bounce off the wall and come back because they are so deceived. They do not believe that God is so black and white. They do not believe that there really is a line in the sand. And God says, don't cross it. Here are the rules and regulations and standards of the kingdom. This is what you do. Because the more you don't do it, is the more you're drifting away from the fullness of the standard, the fullness of the kingdom. And what's happened today is the Babylon of our liberal government has slowly but surely been enslaving Christians. You don't think... You seriously don't believe this? You better... It absolutely has. And what's so so incredibly ironic and uh, hypocritical, it's when Christians demand their religious freedoms, yet turn around and live by, approve of, and vote for 
the pagan standards of a liberal society. It's brainless. It makes no sense whatsoever. But yet you've got this stuff going on in the churches. And yet you, you'll have some churches that say, hey, we are totally against all that liberal stuff. You must be born again. You must be washed into blood. However, healing's not for today. Tongues are not for today. I'm sorry. Thank God for all the people you're getting born again. And I mean that sincerely. Thank God for all the people you're getting born again. But you have drifted away from the kingdom standards. Now here's what's interesting. I'm going to use one denomination as an example because it's the one I grew up in, the Southern Baptist Convention. You may not know this, but for a long time they were absolutely sticklers about it's the blood of Jesus. And, and they would tell you, don't you be sinning. They also said, well, you still have a sin nature, so you know it's inevitable. Sooner or later you're going to, but you better repent and you better make it right. That was what they taught. And they also taught against tongues and against healing, against the ministry of the apostle, the ministry of the prophet, on and on it goes. That, those were the simplified standards of that denomination. Now here's what's happened. Within that denomination, they have begun having church after church after church, Southern Baptist churches, embracing the, um, the LGBTQ, XYZ, so on and so forth, lifestyle. Oh, yeah. It's been going on. Why? You cannot compromise the Word of God in any way, compromise the kingdom standards, and think everything is always going to be okay. You know, what's that saying? Give an inch, they take a mile. Guys, I'm telling you, it happens. Now, we're going to close with Jeremiah chapter 2. I'm going to share with you something the Lord showed me. And again, symbolic, prophetically, symbolic for what's happening in the body of Christ today and what is what's taking place now and is going to increase. In uh, Jeremiah, now as we read this, I want you to read it as though God is using Israel as an example of the church today. Jeremiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, or to the church, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness in a land that was not sown. In other words, I remember. Now, now remember, guys, keep in mind, when God says, I remember, he's not just talking about your last month. He's not talking about a hundred years ago. When he's talking about the church, he's talking about book of Acts. I remember a day with the Lord's a thousand years. You know, he, rem he looks back over time the history of the church, okay? It's important to remember that. He says, I remember your youth, the love of thine espousals. When, you know, you embraced me, we were joined together. When thou wentest after me in the wilderness, a land that was not sown, Israel was holiness unto the Lord. You know, the church was the holiness unto the Lord. The first fruits of his increase. All that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Okay, stop right there. This, this is the good part. God is saying, you touch, okay, the Bible says, touch not mine anointed. Do you understand? Once you're born again, there is an anointing of God upon your life. And what God is saying here is this. To any of the liberals or whatever, you touch my church. And you will answer to me. All this stuff that's going on here in this nation and other places in the world, all of it, where they're coming against Christianity, 
God's taking notes. And it's going to go punished. And he says, Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Or hear the word of the Lord, body of Christ. Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they are gone far from me, and have walked after vanity, and are become vain? Neither said they, Where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt? Or where is the Lord that brought us out of sin? Where is the Lord that brought us out of the the, the grips of Satan? Where is the Lord that brought us out of the dead sin nature and led us through the wilderness, through a land of, of deserts and pits, through a land of drought, through the shadow of death, through a land that no man passed through, where no man dwelt? In other words, he's describing uh, in in these terms, you know, he led us out of everything that the sin nature represented. And he said, and I brought you into a plentiful country. What is the plentiful country? It's the kingdom of God. I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when ye entered, you defiled my land and made mine heritage an abomination. The priests, you know, the pastors, the ministers said not, where is the Lord? In other words, they stopped seeking after me. And they that handle the law, handle the word of God, they knew me not. In other words, it got to the point, they stand up and they're teaching people. that well, It doesn't make any sense what they're teaching. They don't know me. Because if they knew me, they would be teaching my word. He says, the pastors also transgressed against me. And the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. What does it mean to prophesy by Baal? If you're not prophesying by the Holy Ghost, you're prophesying by Baal. In other words, all these people, these these Christians, good glory to God, the stuff that's on social media, my gosh, you guys had better guard your heart. Some of you are being impacted by prophets of Baal who name the name of Jesus. You've got to stop this. And he continues and he says, Wherefore I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. In other words, God is saying, I'm begging you, think about what you're doing. For pass over the isles of, of Chittim and, and see and, and send unto Kedar and consider diligently and see if there be such a thing. Now look at this. Hath a nation? Okay, what nation is he talking about? He's talking about the body of Christ in this. But ye, we're that, you go over in Peter and read about it, he talks about, we're that holy nation, that chosen people. You know, we're the ones that have been established. It's the kingdom of God, the body of Christ, the nation of believers, if you will. And he says, hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Do you see what he's talking about? They have forsaken me, the the source of the living waters, the fountain of the living waters, the fountain, the source of truth. And what they're doing is they're creating their own doctrines, creating their own Christianity, creating their own righteousness, and then turning around and telling people, this is of the Lord. This is from Jesus. This is what the Bible says. And then he says here, verse 14, is Israel a servant? Is he a home-born slave? Why is he spoiled? The young lions roared upon him and yelled, And they made his land, now look at this, and they made his land waste, 
His cities are burned without inhabitant. Now let me now stop right there. And when I read this, here's immediately I had this this vision. And it was a map of the United States. And in this map, there were these fires that were burning all over the place. These just like little fires everywhere. And I'm looking at this, and, and I'm, you know, at first you wonder, oh, well, this must be, you know, an, an, uh, like revival, and the fires of revival. And the Holy Ghost helped me understand, no, no, that is not what you're seeing. What you're seeing are, when he says here, the cities are burned without inhabitant, he is saying, these are the churches that are being burned with the fire of my judgment. And it's happening right now. And he says, without inhabitant, that means there's nobody in there who is recognizing what is happening. You know, you can have a house that catches fire on the inside, and on the outside, the roof may still be intact, the walls are still up, you might see a little black soot around the windows or something like that, but on the inside, the house is completely devastated. You can't live in it because of all the damage. That is exactly what is happening right now in the church. God's judgment is falling on churches throughout this nation and throughout the world. All I saw was the map of the United States. And these it's come to the point to where God has said, that's it. What he's talking about here, this judgment that he has declared, that he's warned would happen. The prophets, the priests, etc. and so forth, they're delivering their own schism doctrines. And this fire is burning in those churches. Churches, some of them, the likes of which were described in this message today. They're burning, but there are people in there. Nobody in there is an inhabitant who's standing up and declaring the word of truth, the word of God, because if they try, they're going to be ushered right out the door. This fire is burning, and it's burning now, and it's going to continue to burn. There are other churches where this fire is going to be ignited. Here is our only hope. To avoid this judgment. I'm not talking a little literal fire. You understand that? We've got to stick together as a family in this place. This is a refuge. And when we get a new location, it will be our refuge. This is a refuge. And if, if you take lightly what is happening in this church, you aren't what the Bible talks about neglecting so great a salvation. You can't afford at this point in time, none of us can afford to take lightly what God is doing in this place. Are we the only church? No, we're not the only church that people should attend. But when you go through this list that I just showed you, how many churches out there are on fire? How many churches out there should people be leaving? They're all over the place. Some of you probably know some. And it's, it's very possible that some of you know some people attending churches they should be avoiding and they're not doing it. And if you try to explain to them why, they're going to give you stuff and defend the error. Defend the prophecies of Baal. When I say prophecies of Baal, don't misunderstand and think that it means somebody standing up and say, yeah, yeah, you should worship demons. No, a prophecy of Baal is a declaration that is not in line with the kingdom of God and his standards. That's a prophecy of Baal. Now, folks, you need to understand, we're at a place here, I'm continuing to learn, you're continuing to learn, we have to be the iron that sharpens iron. We cannot neglect what God is doing in this place. The people uh, down at Pastor Bronx Church, 
you know, they're doing everything they can to not neglect that great salvation, to keep pressing in. And the prayer center in Tulsa, you know, they're going to have their new facility very soon. And they too are doing this. There are more churches not doing this than there are pressing in like we are. We cannot look around and think, well, when are the people coming in? We need to be faithful and continue keeping our eyes set like a flint on Jesus Christ and keep pressing in and not allow ourselves to be influenced by any of this stuff that's going on out there. We can't change people. We can't change churches. I can remember you know, talking about the people that um, are really studying the Word of God line upon line, that they would come to these understandings. That's exactly what happened with my mom and my dad. We were raised Southern Baptist. Tongues are for today, etc., 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 and mom, she gets on TV and, and she starts, you know, cable had just come out. And she's watching, you know, the 700 Club. And they're talking things about, you know, tongues and being filled with the Holy Ghost. So she gets back into Word and she starts studying these things out. And she begins to realize, all these years, we've been taught wrong about this in our church. So guess what? Mom pressed in. Mom made a, it was a difficult decision to leave the church they'd been a, prior, a part of for decades. And she and dad left that and went to a church. They got filled with the Holy Ghost and their lives were changed. It wasn't that the previous church was full of a bunch of wretched sinners. But when, you, when you're trying to live by a standard that's not a kingdom standard, you cannot live by the fullness of who you are in Christ. That's what we're after. Even if we never see a massive revival and the throngs of people coming in here, you know what? We keep pressing in. We keep pressing in. And we avoid that stuff that's doing us no good whatsoever. Don't ever feel like you have to start attending somebody else's church just because, well, Grandpa is the pastor. Or it's where the rest of the family attends. Or you, you need to support your family. Let me get this straight. My brother's pastoring this church, but what he's teaching is wrong. And you think I should be attending that church because we're family? Now, you know what? Remember what happened with Jesus? People came to him and said, Ah, you know, your, your mom and your brothers and all, they want to see you. And he says, Who's my family? He said, This is my family. You know what? You are my family. You are my family more than any of my family members who aren't walking with Christ. You are my family, and I need you. Guys, the fires are burning. The fires of judgment are burning in churches. <laughs> we need to keep pressing into God and do everything we can to keep those fires from burning here. Praise God. The only fire we want is the fire of holiness, the fire of revival, the fire of God's presence. <laughs> 